Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road, and hopefully everything is going well with you. Uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, spending the next, hopefully it's not going to be, let's just say about an hour. I know I've been going long with the shows, but I'm trying to uh, give you the best education that I can. So I thank you for sticking with me on that. And I want to invite all of you to listen to my On the Road podcast, which probably would have dropped just a day or two before this dropped. So I don't know, obviously, when you're going to listen to this stuff. But anyway, it's On the Road to Kurt and Mary Allstead. I always pronounce their last name wrong. And it's a uh, very interesting story of passion and uh, triumph over disaster in agriculture. So uh, check it out. It's probably the longest episode I have ever done, but not because it is my show. I think that it flows very quickly, and uh, they were both very engaging and very dynamic and held nothing back about their farms, their successes, their failures, excuse me, and the challenges of their life. And then, God willing, the following weekend, or the following Monday... Uh, it would, well, it should be this coming Monday, I guess, if you're uh, listening to this when it drops on Wednesday. But anyway, <laughs> I'm doing another on the road, and that'll be with Scott Shelady, 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 and he is the cow guy. If you ever seen him on rural radio, and you can't say rural, RFD TV, or heard him on rural radio. And he's their uh, market commodities expert, but he has a lot of passion for agriculture. He has a lot of passion for farmers, and his family is a farmer, and he grew up on a farm. And he has a wonderful story to tell. And uh, even though he's no longer planting any crops, so I am looking forward to, I will actually be recording that in a few days. And uh, so it should it should post in a, in a week or so. Uh, and if you would check that out, I would greatly appreciate it because the whole purpose of those on-the-road shows are to inspire people to aspire to something and to tell the humanistic side, the human side of those that are passionate about agriculture or, as I always like to say, firing orders. And hopefully, God willing, that is of some benefit to those who listen and hear the challenges that other people have gone through in their life, uh, their successes, their failures, their tears, and their joys. And because that's really what life is all about. It's not what life throws at us, but how we deal with what is thrown at us. And if you have a faith in the Lord, then dealing with things are much, much easier And that doesn't mean that there's no tears falling from your eyes, but there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. So check those out. And the other thing I'm going to ask you to do before we get going today and not spend 20 minutes talking is that um, reach out to me, go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, read a blog, take a toolbox test, read an article, but but. Most importantly, that's <clears throat> that stuff is important, obviously. But fill out that form, 
to win a hot rod farmer license plate tell me where you're listening from so i put a pin in my map and that will also get you into the contest to win one of four fent die cast models it'll be a, a rogator sprayer an ideal combine a momentum planter and a fent track tractor one with tracks so uh check so just go over there do that and you will be in the drawing for that and let me see the other thing i want to tell you is that uh you know i wear my heart in my sleeve and and i don't know whether i thought well, I, I, if you listen to me you know that but um there's probably not much that you don't know about me and if you don't know about that about me now it's only because i didn't get a chance to tell you but anyway um i've had a problem i've never had good eyesight and i've probably mentioned that before on the show and i was i'm nearsighted in one eye farsighted in the other and i don't know years ago they told me i had 2400 vision in one eye and uh right now my right eye is for all intents and purposes blind uh blind in the sense that i mean i could see if i close i could see right up my hand close to me but if if my wife is standing 10 feet away then i just see a blurry i mean i know it's her but i see a blurry image and um it's been getting worse and what that has caused me to have to to endure and i'll say is that i always used to be like a cyclops and look look with one eye because i would use one eye for up close and one eye for distance so my brain would switch eyes so if i was for instance looking driving and looking down the road i would be looking with my left eye if i went down to look at my watch or the speedometer or the gauges or whatever i'd look at my brain would switch to look with my right eye i was born that way so it's nothing that um that uh, that like that if, if somebody what they told me the doctors told me years ago that if this happened to somebody because of an accident they would be considered legally blind because they or in that one eye but anyway but to try to be succinct with this and i'm embarrassed to say this is that the uh it you know it comes on you like like gray hair it doesn't happen like weeds in a field it doesn't happen overnight but probably the past six or seven years what i noticed is that i'm driving and and i'm the hot rod farmer right i'm the car guy i mean i've gone 200 miles an hour right so let's just put that as a as as a precursor to all of this and i'd be going over a bridge and the and the bridge was arced so it would go it would raise up in elevation and i would completely lose my bearings and it would be a and like i said ashamedly a very stressful situation for me which i used to be able to drive over the same bridges with one hand on the steering wheel and looking off to the right or to the left look at that uh, look at that tugboat down there look at that ship right and now uh that is not the case and i just lose all my bearings because i just uh and i feel and i end up closing my right eye and it's a better but not a hundred percent and i just feel that i don't know where i am like a person walking in the dark and trying to go up and down the staircase or find something they're bumping the long way and then once i get to the apex of the bridge i'm a hundred percent fine so it's the dynamic now it's not a fear of heights i'm not afraid of heights i could go up on the roof look out off the roof go up on the airplane look i go into a skyscraper look out the window no problem whatsoever i'm not good i can't climb a ladder onto the roof because i lose my bearings uh 
So I would don't ever ask me to climb up into your grain bin from the outside. But uh, like I said, it's gotten very bad and it never used to be that way. And so I said, I got to go to a doctor because this is actually, I mean, it's its debilitating. I mean, you, you force your way over a bridge, but here it is, your hands are swimming. You're the hot rod farmer and your hands are sweating. I mean, yeah, I used to ride motorcycles, drag racing, run the Silver State Classic with my buddy Gene Worst and his Firebird. And now I have this. Now I'm finding out a lot of people have it. So I go to the, so I go to the doctor and uh my eye doctor retired so i had to find a new guy and i told him i told him all about this and to make a long story short i kind of self-diagnosed it myself i self-diagnosed it specifically on the way back from kentucky and they kept playing with covering up my eyes and driving so uh he said that uh i have a bad cataract on my right eye and he said that I'm 100% correct that it's messing me up because my other eye is, is um, my, my, my other eye can't compensate and my brain is trying to look at it. It's not like I see double or anything. It's just that I, I, I lose my bearings. I, I don't know. I don't, I can't tell. Uh, it just, it becomes overwhelming to me. So, and interestingly enough, a good friend of mine, Joe, has the same problem. We and I discovered that about a year ago, and then I he says, "Well, if you ever find out what it is," so I called him as soon as I came back from the doctor, and uh, he's then I told him I said they said I have a bad cataract, and that's what's causing. It. I said I kind of felt that it was something like that, but I'm so grateful, thank God, and hopefully that's all it is, because I had two fears in my life. I share everything with you as a young man. I had a fear, that's why I stopped riding my motorcycle, that I would be paralyzed, uh, get into an accident and be paralyzed. And the other fear I've had in my life since I was a young man uh, was to go blind. Because the gift of eyesight is such a blessing from the Lord and not be able to see and see his creation and see my wife's face and see my aunt. I just did that. Like I said, that was a, uh, so I was afraid and I was saying a prayer that, uh, that it would be something simple, not like macular degeneration or what have you. And I'm, I'm surprised because I'm not that old, but they get a cataract, so who knows? And uh, But that's what it looks to be. So I have to go to another surgeon because this guy doesn't do surgery that he recommended. And, and suppose it's a 15-minute surgery, but I got to have an appointment with him, a consultation, and then I have to see when he could schedule it or what he has to say, whether I like him. And I have to time this with corn planting because we're almost in that season for the simple reason being they i know empirically and anecdotally and i'm sure the doctor will tell me the same thing is that for a week to 10 days you can't lift more than 10 pounds well not lifting more than 10 pounds on the farm is like almost impossible so uh so i'll have to i'll have to see whether i'll get that done before corn planting or after corn planting or what have you but uh, God willing, that's all it is. And I, in this doctor said, you'll be back to like you were when you were young because this is messing your brain up. And uh, I said, I hope so, because uh, I used to love him. We, Charles and I went across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. There's a, a big bridge outside of, uh, for my Canadian listeners on the Queen Elizabeth Way. I think they call it the Hamilton Skyway. I used to go across that with the steel mill under there. I used to go across that bridge and look down and, oh, look at the steel mill. Look at this. I used to, it was uh, not, nothing. I mean, forget about it. And the last time I went over that bridge, the Hamilton Skyway, I went up to uh, uh, Mississauga, Ontario, and uh, 
for a friend of mine, Howie Poulter, who was very involved with Corvette clubs, and I gave a seminar to them. And then I went up to that bridge, and I went over that bridge, and boy, it was it was white knuckles, sweaty, sweaty palms, and uh, that's not me. But hey, I guess things change in life, so God willing, it will come back to being the old Ray. And he can't get rid of my gray hair, but as long as God willing, I'm able to have my eyesight back in that eye and function 100% the way I was, I will be truly, truly thankful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All righty, the other thing I want to tell you, that you know that about me, uh, is um, I, got a, I got a note here from from Bruce, and I know I'm supposed to know how to say his name, but I'll, I'll kill it again, Jack, you... Jack, you Bork House, I think it is. All right, Bruce, Bruce J, we'll call him. And uh, it's about my Ask Ray podcast that I did last week. And if you're new to it, well, God knows when you're listening, it's in the archives. So this is what Bruce said to me. He says, I listened to your most recent episode called Ask Ray. As always, I enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you, Bruce. I thought I'd add something about that ridiculous auto stop that start, stop start feature that new cars have. <clears throat> My wife's 2018 Jeep Grand Cherokee has that feature and you cannot change its setting. You must override it every time you start it up. There is a battery operated aftermarket device that causes the computer to remember the setting, but I am apprehensive about using such a device. Then about the brake line size question, it sounded like the car owner said there was three sixteenths line going from the master cylinder and one quarter inch going to the wheels. That sounds backward to me. Regardless, you were probably right about the bleeder screw locations or possibly the master cylinder bore being too small. It might be beneficial to your audience if you explain Pascal's law about hydraulic pressure being even throughout the system not being an engineer myself it helped me to understand hydraulic systems better pretty amazing that pascal's law dates back to the ninth to the 1600s please keep up the good work regards bruce <clears throat> excuse me well always th- as always thank you bruce for for writing in and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and uh i did communicate with bruce uh subsequently before i did the show and uh, I know that in in most vehicles, but I also I also have learned prior to Bruce uh, reaching out to me that that most Chryslers, and you got to say most today, because it could be a certain model and something. Oh no, my Ram truck does whatever. I mean that I learned years ago as a writer. When I started my writing career. You never say all. You always say most or the majority because somebody's gonna say, "Well, no, on the '52 Studebaker they had that." So, so whatever. And that, and I'm not being mockingly here of somebody saying that, but that's it. The world is too complicated today. But interestingly enough, the gentleman James Condon, if you remember him, uh, he's the one who fixed my uh, diagnosed properly my uh, Briggs and Stratton Elite Eight Thousand generator. He has his wife has a Chrysler Pacifica, and um, we were talking about when I was picking up the generator months ago, talking about the start stop, and he was the one who told me that there's no way to get into it, or that he's aware of that you could get into it to shut it off. And I know that in most Fords, if not all Fords, and on most GMs, we're going to use that word most again, that you can go deep into the menu. Uh, I, 
what I mean by deep is there's not a button there and you could shut it off. But um, you may also, but Bruce, you may also want to talk to the dealer that they may have a reflash <coughs> that shuts that off. But subsequently, I had said to Bruce, and I'll share that with you, that in and then again in most applications, if you if you put a trailer harness connector with no trailer. <clears throat> if it has a trailer harness light lighting uh, plug on, under the bumper and plug that in, it negates the start-stop. So I suggested to Bruce for him to go to buy, even if you went to like uh, Harbor Freight and put one of those little those little testers in there, then it would it it may very well uh, negate the start stop and you have that and i do want to add one thing bruce because i know you are listening that i believe that little harbor freight one's only five or six dollars or seven dollars and it may have an le it probably has an led in it that may not have enough load to uh to cancel on the circuit to start stop but i for five or six bucks i would definitely try it but gee bruce does not know if his wife he says it doesn't have a trailer hitch but that does not necessarily mean that the wiring harness is not hanging there my ranger came from the factory with obviously no trailer hitch but it had it was all wired up with the four pin plug there so uh hopefully that's some valuable information if anybody has any more data on that then uh you could just let me know and it does make sense because if you're pulling a trailer of any type then you're not going to want the engine to shut off because you're going to need more load the more load you have more load on it to go and to get it going so you stop on a hill right and you have a trailer even if it's a thousand pound trailer you don't want the engine to shut off and then then start to uh, move the trailer up the hill so thank you very much bruce and that is thanks that that i'm just going to stop here for a second and get a uh a drink of water if I can find find my glass. I'm gonna put the dragster on. Alrighty, I'm <clears throat> I'm back. So, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> excuse me. What we're gonna talk about today is cylinder to cylinder combustion variability. That really sounds technical, right? So I'm going to give you a technical background of that and then for you to understand it. And then I'm going to give you a practical of application about what you could try to do to minimize this cylinder to cylinder combustion variation. And even if it's a two-cylinder engine, if it's a one-cylinder engine, obviously it doesn't make any difference. Uh, so uh, that is... Uh, something that i think will bring value to you on the farm or under the hood of your vehicle or any machine so now the thing is that the best analogy that i can make is an agrarian one and just like you could go across a field no matter what the size of the field is and you'll have and you'll have soil what they call variability across the field so you may if you did a soil test then the soil will come back and then it's not going to in, in most instances it's not going to be drastically variable but it can be because let's say if some water lays in that part of the field or there's a slope and the water runs down it or what have you 
but you will find that there is a certain level of variability. And and I think in most things in life, you'll, you'll find a, a, a level of variability. It's just a, just a, the, the ideal is to not have too much variability. So now when you plant a corn crop, every farmer's dream or goal, I should say, is to have what's called a picket fence stand of corn. And with a picket fence stand of corn, I mean it has the accuracy of a picket fence. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a the fence is, is beautifully spaced out. Everything is perfect, straight up, what have you. And a picket fence stand of corn is an indicator, I'm going to say, of a good farmer. Well, there's a lot more to being a good farmer than a picket fence stand of corn, but it is one aspect of being a good farmer. But basically, in essence, it's truly an indicator of you having your planter set properly and it's functioning properly. So the goal is always to have a picket fence stand of corn. And until I got my, I, my well, it's not that new anymore. It was built in 2016. Planter, I never truly had a picket fence stand of corn. And now I could go out there and for the most part have a picket fence stand of corn. Now, uh, the planter is one element of it, all right, because you have to place the seeds properly and at the same depth so it all comes up the same and what have you. Uh, but also the other thing is that the seed has to be able to to germinate and then emerge. And using my example, planting sweet corn, I plant 20,000. Well, my planter is calibrated for 20,400 seeds per acre on 28-inch rows. So that means if you do the math that the seeds are about 11 and a half inch apart, so if you happen to have two seeds that do not germinate and emerge in a row or one germinates later than the other and emerges slower or there's a puddle of water there and it's very damp and the seed does not germinate then you're certainly not going to have a picket fence stand of corn but that is not the planter's fault now so uh, so i never have a picket fence stand the corn across the whole field. I'll, I could have it, and I do eight, nine to ten different plantings, so they see all different conditions. But at least I know my seed spacing in the planter mechanically is set properly. I can't make up for what the good Lord has if the puddle of water is there or, or what have you. So I have a quasi picket stand of corn, all right, and uh, but it's gotten much much better with this new planter and the no till. Now, for somebody who is not aware and somebody who plants soybeans, well, what they see you talk—that's the exact opposite of a of a of a stand of corn—is that a soybean a soybean they lot if especially if it's drilled in instead of using a planter they call it a controlled spill is that it doesn't have the precision the seeds are smaller there's a lot of other dynamics going on with soybeans planting beans that that i will not talk about here or waste your time with it but the fact that everybody says well soybeans is a controlled spill and i'll even say i'll go on and say that Sometimes it's a quasi-controlled spill. It's not even you can't even say it's a controlled spill. It's part of it is a controlled spill. But the way the soybean plant grows 
and 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 bushes up and has a very large canopy different than corn and is not as visible it doesn't get anywhere near as high is that in the short order once it goes into canopy the sins of that controlled spin to the, to the person riding by in the highway right the show field right along the highway is uh, usually not seen or not quite apparent if you went into the field and walked between the rows you'd possibly see it but it's a bushy type of plant versus corn which grows straight up and not a bushy well anyway so what does that have to do with cylinder to cylinder variability with a combustion event well it has a lot to do because some engines the way they're designed and the dynamics of them are like a corn planter you get a picket fence stand while other engines by the way they're designed will be a like a soybean plant soybean planting beans a controlled spill or quasi controlled spill so what if you were to identify if you were to look at an engine excuse me if look at an engine and say is this is the the variability the combustion variability in each cylinder is this going to be by design a controlled spill soybeans this engine soybeans or is this engine corn and it's picket fence well the design criteria that is going to determine whether it's a controlled spill or picket fence is the intake manifold and its runner length so if you were to look and maybe some of you don't even know what it look, some of you may not know what it looks like because you've never seen one uh but if you were to look at an older inline six cylinder engine that's for instance like a slant six on a chrysler that the carburetor was on the intake manifold and if you looked at it the center cylinders then the and the intake manifold if you were to take it off formed like an arc and the uh outside cylinders so one two five and six uh uh had shorter runners than the other cylinders so basically in essence it is very common for you to see on an engine with and it's it's much more apparent on an inline engine than it is on a v-shaped engine but it does but that that is there also is that the biggest deciding factor in that number one is is the design of the intake manifold and whether the intake manifold runners are equal length or not on most carbureted applications on inline engines and i don't care whether it's on a a old john deere tractor or a 9n ford or a combine with a gasoline engine in it most of those engines did not have equal length intake manifold runners and that was due to packaging so it was due to packaging and the problems that happen with what is called a wet flow intake system induction system and a wet flow system is like a carburetor or a throttle body injection but a carburetor where you're mixing the fuel and air in the carburetor in in the plenum and uh, the distance between the carburetor placement and the intake port of the cylinder had due to packaging varies so now what's going to happen is that's a design criteria once they took those engines let's say like the excellent excellent 
4.9 liter Ford, which was the 300 straight six. The slant six Chrysler and the, and the Chevy motor, the 250 Chevy motor was ready. Um, not, not with this, not in this world. By the time they went to fuel injection, but Ford went and fuel injected <clears throat> the 300 inline six that was used in the Econoline pick kind of line vans and f-series smaller f-series pickup trucks and once they did that one of the benefits of electronic fuel injection is that you can not only increase the amount of intake manifold runner length which will increase the torque output of the engine and bringing it in a slower speed the longer the intake manifold runners the more torque the engine will make but will limit its rpm so the less horsepower will make it of less rpm capability but you'll have more torque let's say at 2000 rpm because of the longer runner and it has to do with what's called a tuning effect and it's it's under it works under uh the theory of hemholtz resonance so uh it's a tu- it's a tuning effect and the uh of the manifold and when the manifold is tuning and that's not something that you see you feel with the engine when manifolds tuning means it's working in its proper range it would be like saying that a, a, centr- a centrifugal pump is in its in its sweet spot it's not cavitating all right so uh but in a in a carburetor application wet flow if the manifold runners are too long or they twist and they turn then you have the potential to having the fuel and air mixture separate and the fuel drop out on a port fuel injected system using the ford 300 six cylinder and uh since it was dry flow the fuels being administered only by about usually about 100 millimeters away from the intake valve and the with a junction of the intake manifold meets the intake port of the cylinder head you don't have to worry about you only have air it's why it's called dry flow those type of manifolds so now you have the ability to uh to go and let me get another drink here it's a good thing if i didn't take to have this on the floor so um you have the ability to make the manifold runners as long as you want for torque and to also even them out so what they would do in that type of design is that they would tie the runners together they make them as equal distance as they possibly could and they will go and tie it together with a common plenum and then they would put a throttle body on which you could not do that with a carburetor so the first thing i want to discuss is that by design if you look at an engine and uh if you have an older engine floating around on your farm what have you and it could be diesel also all right but the thing is that you want to look at the intake manifold runner length if the then the the goal the ideal just like a picket fence stand of corn is to have a have identical length runners and if you were to look at a modern um engine even if it's in like in my little fiesta all right because it's dry flow is that the they'll they're able to design the manifold runners to be if not 100 percent equal length very very close to equal length because it's dry flow fuel injection they could do what they want with the runner not have to worry about a carburetor sitting there and having to have uh 
and be able to feed all those cylinders now getting back to carburetors right so you got some guys got sleds they got snowmobiles they got they got motorcycles right uh the thing is that it you could have an equal length runner uh equal runner lengths with carburetors but you have to have multiple carburetors you have to so there's a lot of engines out there that uh no more i'm not well the the motorcycles uh, a lot of them are fuel injected now but anyway but uh you could look like an old jaguar engine with carburetors they have multiple carburetors six carburetors so now you'd have a carburetor for each cylinder and now you could have an equal length intake manifold runner all right if you don't have a carburetor for each cylinder that's going to be impossible for you to to have now the same thing will happen if you look at a v-shaped engine and we'll use a v8 as an example instead of a v6 but makes no difference is that uh you it is possible to design an equal length so you have your carburetor let's say it's a v8 equal length runners on that but lots of times they will not have that due to packaging and also the manifold style that uh if you have a dual plane manifold then they will try their best to get equal length runners but the but because the carburetor is placed in the center that the cylinders closer to the center of the carb the plenum of the intake manifold will historically be shorter all right than the other ones uh and if you have a single plane intake manifold right so there's not two floors in it is the i don't want to get off too much on a tangent here is that you have a better chance of having equal length runners or close to equal length runners and if you let's say you look at a uh a drag race engine right with a uh with a uh a long uh a what do you call it i can't even think of it sheet metal intake manifold all right that they'll move the carburetor up a little bit higher and they will make a, a an equal length manifold or equal length runners i should say so like most things in life engineering is a compromise on a production vehicle a production engine a production engine in a piece of on a piece of farm equipment there's a lot of compromises that are brought to the table and accepted because there is no other choice right we have to put this motor in this whatever it is and we have to do this to it it has to be able to have access and we have to have an air conditioner compressor here and the alter it's just so, so many things so the whole idea is that so it's not that it cannot be done but it's much easier for it to be done with fuel injection now keep in mind let's go on the diesel side this dynamics of intake manifold resonance tuning hemholz effect is a hundred percent the same that the, the hemholz resonance does not know whether it's on a on a diesel or it's on a gasoline engine and they face the same obstacles that a uh, gasoline engine would and specifically with a v-shaped v-shaped engine uh but if you look at let's say the 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 uh new power stroke and uh actually gm had come up with that design but never went into production i don't know if the new uh the new duramax is that way but they have the they have the ports reversed so they have the they have the exhaust ports up towards the valley of the engine and they have the intake ports down towards the bottom where the exhaust ports were so the thing is that but without belaboring this the ideal is to have a picket fence stand of manifold runner length so 
talking about cylinder, cylinder, cylinder to cylinder uh, combustion variations that if you have an intake manifold, variability is probably a better word than variations, if you have an intake manifold with different length runners, then two things are going to happen that and you're driving this that people i'm, I'm going to pick on the slant six chrysler all right um and i'll pick on the slant six chrysler and then i'll pit it against the, the 300 cubic inch efi ford engine so if you have different runner lengths because of the hem effect the length of the runner is going to impact as the manifold tunes is that you're going to drive this land six down the road if you if you ever dr- had driven one or somebody has one and it's going to go down the road fine it's going to it's going to you're not going to know any difference right you're going to run great and run forever you couldn't kill those engines either that one or the ford all right uh <clears throat> and the chevy to all those old american engines you could do what you wanted to them and they would never die <clears throat> you really had to be brutal and for a long time to kill those but anyway but really what's happening is that since the manifold is tuning at a different rpm that at part throttle light load and then also at wide open throttle each cylinder is having a different amount of volumetric efficiency and the manifold is a compromise so let's say cylinder one it may the that manifold runner may tune uh resonate is a word that we use within the industry to resonate at 1800 rpm but the center cylinders because the runners are shorter that may resonate at 1200 rpm so what's happening is that as a quick recap volumetric efficiency is the amount of fill that the cylinder is experiencing just because it's it's this size this volume the cylinder is that it's not usually filled in most at most running scenarios specifically with an older engine it is not a hundred percent filled most production engines back years ago had a volumetric efficiency of about 80 percent and volumetric efficiency even on a new engine is going to uh is going to be when the engine produces peak torque so peak torque is the peak amount of cylinder fill and that is why modern engines have variable runner intake manifolds they have variable cam timing so what they're looking to do is that even if they have equal length intake manifold runners all right what they're looking to do is have what they call an engineering degrees of freedom adjustability and by changing the cam phase and changing the runner length but doing this uniformly on all runners not just a, a couple of them is that you, you you are expanding uh the area under the curve and you're making that intake manifold become very what i'll say flexible and have a whole bunch of different resonant characteristics all right so but what happens is that we do not and and this is all design so it's the idea of you recognizing it you can't do anything about it but it's all designed so the fact of the matter is so using your slant six chrysler that's sitting there idling and you go listen to tailpipe boom 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 like that your pulses are nice and even as you could perceive them if you were to actually have the ability which you do not so this is just uh making a statement that you would see that the volumetric efficiency so the amount of 
power generation that each cylinder is contributing is going to vary with the intake manifold runner length and that's why in drag race engines they make a, a sheet metal manifold with equal length high rise sheet metal manifold equal length runners so each cylinder is producing the same amount of horsepower so if you look at <clears throat> going back to that old slant six so let's say it made a hundred well let's, let's say 120 horsepower for easy arithmetic right so we, that means in theory you would say well 120 horsepower six cylinders each cylinder is producing 20 horsepower that's how we got the 120 right well <clears throat> excuse me that was never really the case because uh the differences in volumetric efficiency and a different rpms a different rpm you don't pluralize that and i pluralized it all right uh by mistake is that the the result was to the crankshaft you were getting 120 horsepower but it was not a picket fence stand of power production it was more like a controlled spill of planting soybeans right so now we go over to the 300 cubic inch efi ford because <clears throat> it has equal length runners in theory we could have a uh an engine that is going to produce have the same volumetric efficiency on each cylinder or very close to the same volumetric efficiency the same tuning characteristics the same resonant characteristics and thus have equal power produced which they actually look at engineers look at bmep break mean effective pressure and imep indicated mean effective pressure but for this show we'll say horsepower and torque a lot easier all right so so people will say well one thing well how come these small four cylinder engines break so much power they compared to 40 years ago well that was one of the things is that the the cylinder heads are a lot better but also because of the the uh eliminating the variability in the volumetric efficiency and the fueling then you have a force on the engine so they're all making the same amount of power all right so or a six cylinder engine or v8 engine whatever it may be is because you're eliminating <clears throat> that cylinder fill variability by the intake manifold runner design all right so let's so that is a design criteria you and i could do nothing about that nothing whatsoever just like if i'm you know if, if i you know my genes come genes meaning my genes and my chromosomes not my pants all right if they you know if they if i'm born and i grow to whatever five foot eleven which i think i am if i didn't shrink then that's it i'm not going to grow to seven feet i'm not going to be four foot my wife is five foot one and three quarters or so she claims i never checked i should check that before i married her but anyway uh and uh so that's her mother was small her dad was small those are the genes she has all right so these are the genes this is the dna in the engine design you cannot do anything about it all right but as i said in the beginning what we're going to discuss is that as i was saying planting soybeans people say it's a controlled spill i'm going to say it's a quasi controlled spill i don't even think sometimes it's as good as a controlled spill but what i'm going to do now is talk about regardless of the intake manifold runner design its length and its variability is that the things that could happen 
as an engine is in in use whether it's in a tractor or whether it's in a car or a truck on an irrigation pump or what have you the things that could happen to this engine that could that could either make it more of a of a quasi controlled spill or bring it make make it a, a, a less controlled spill with less control just just uh health a skelter or make it more of a controlled spill it's having a tighter window of control it's never going to be picket fence like planting corn but we could tighten up the controlled spill if that makes sense and so so this is going to be applicable to any engine regardless of the variability intake manifold runner length and whether it's gasoline whether it's diesel whether it's carburetor whether it's fuel injected it's irrelevant all right so what you basically have to do is just like we say in farming you 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 farm with the horses you have you farm with the land you have all right you have to work with what you have so the first thing that you need to determine well let me let me back up i don't want to use the word determine for you to have the proper combustion event and minimize the cylinder to cylinder combustion variability you have to make sure that that engine has no that engine has these it's most that's not a good word let me say it's receiving all of the air it's supposed to with no air leaks so forget about the design how uneven the runners are so you have an old slant six right so the thing is that what you really need to do is confirm that there are no that the intake manifold is sealed properly to the cylinder head gasoline or diesel fuel injected or carbureted makes no difference i'm not going to keep repeating that because if you have an air leak on one cylinder so you have six cylinders you have eight cylinders whatever it may be you have eight potential leak sites and the best way for you to confirm this is with a smoke machine and i know everybody doesn't have a smoke tester but the good thing about a smoke tester is that it's going to pick up a minute minute air leak and once you introduce an air leak into regardless of the runner is the shorter runner longer runner or equidistant well you've taken and all bets are off on how that cylinder is going to respond and it's going to respond in a negative sense because you've introduced a lot of combustion variability into that particular hole that whole meaning is cylinder you want to be able to have that picket fence stand that each one is firing and producing as as close to the same power as possible and that's why i said in the beginning is that i often have a quasi picket fence stand of corn and i didn't explain why i do have that even in the same planting is because if you're if you're a, a row crop guy raising you know raising field corn seed corn people call it different things for forage for cows all right is that those that that those hybrids are not prima donnas sweet corn is a prima donna so sweet corn is just and anybody who raises sweet corn knows that you look at a sweet corn seed long the wrong way before you put it in the ground that sucker says i ain't gonna germinate or i'm gonna germinate later than the other one or i'm gonna do this it's really really a prima donna 
Whereas you have field corn, it's not a prima donna. So, well, I shouldn't say it's not. A, it's nowhere near as 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 much of a prima donna or high maintenance as sweet corn is. So, what's basically happening is you want to be able to 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 make sure that each runner is not is what it's supposed to be in delivering the air it's supposed to and if it's wet flow fuel and not introducing with a vacuum leak an air leak or anything else all right so that is the first thing and the best way to do it is with a smoke tester as i start to say people say oh, i spray carburetor cleaner i spray this i do this or that years ago we used to use propane enrichment which was good all right but you may not be able to pick up a minute leak where is a smoke tester and you could buy a cheap one for under two hundred dollars it's a non-flammable it's a non-flammable and non-toxic smoke you need a compressor shop air it may take you 15 minutes or so to fill the manifold up with smoke the engine is off you put it into the induction path you seal it up with some duct tape or something and you let it fill up and you'll be surprised how many minute vacuum leaks that you, leaks you're going to find possibly you may have a leak around the intake matter you may have a leak around the throttle shafts around a, whatever egr valve so so the first thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that each cylinder is going to get its po- full potential right because we may have different length runners full potential of air into it so that it has so so that aspect of the combustion event is is as close to being picket fence as possible the next thing that you want to do is you want to make sure to the best of your ability because we're not we're just we're, we're farming we're farming with the land we have we're plowing with the horses we have all right so this is what we have this is what we got to work with you this is the only wrench you have you got to get that bolt out we're not redesigning it we're not getting a snap-on flank drive and whatever so things this is the wrench we have we're stuck on the side of the road we got to get the tire off all right that's that's what we got to work with all right so the next thing so we worried about the air now keep in mind our modern engine or um, i don't even use the word modern that most engines also have vacuum ports going to them so you may be pulling in that application you may be pulling closer to one runner the vacuum signal for the power brakes all right you have a vacuum signal running so you have to look at everything and that's why a smoke tester is so nice to work with and you will be surprised how many tiny leaks that you will find that cumulatively are affecting the engine but lots of times you'll have an air leak that has a greater impact on one cylinder so now we have picket fence picket fence no picket fence controlled spill because that combustion event is going to be completely off on that cylinder and even though the engine may not be going that it's it's not going to have the same contribution of power burn speed everything in that particular zone we want to get picket fence i'll keep bringing that up so the next thing we have to be concerned with is is the uh fuel being administered evenly into all of the cylinders or as evenly as it can with a carburetor application well that means that you want to have the carburetor set properly that you want to have the air bleeds and all the circuits of the carburetor clean the float level proper but specifically that you want the, the carburetor to to uh 
atomize the fuel properly because remember a carburetor atomizes it breaks into small particles but still in a liquid form and the the latent heat of vaporization is a phase change and that's what vaporizes the fuel so if you have a carburetor so if you look down the carburetor and one 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 side let's say it's a two-barrel carburetor is dripping a little bit right so then you probably have a plugged air bleed so the thing is that or a dirty air bleed partially plugged so the whole idea is that you want to be able to send the same amount of fuel discharging from the carburetor but on a on a um wet flow system like that then the problem is you still have the variability in the runners but the fact of the matter is you at least want to have the carburetor do a proper job now that's the easier part on fuel injection which a lot of people do not pay attention to i should say they don't recognize it is that you want to have in repeatability of atomization and fuel flow on each injector so now we're going to go back to that ford the 300 cubic inch inline ford right versus the chrysler the six cylinder old 68 slant six with a holly 1920 single barrel carburetor on all right the thing is that what's what's you what's nice about port fuel injection or direct gasoline direct injection is the ability to fuel each cylinder independently that's the nice size but everything in life is a double-sided sword right you got a price to pay for that the price to pay for that is that you can have you very possibly if let's say we have that six cylinder ford you have the rate of atomization all right and the response time specifically as the injector gets older is six is different on each cylinder right when it came from the factory it would be the same but just like i do eight or nine or ten plantings of corn different times this one saw a lot of rain this one saw a drought this one saw a cold this one saw this this one saw a flood this one saw a windstorm just like if you were to have six children and and uh this one became a doctor this one uh, we went to jail this one got cancer god forbid this one did this one fell off the roof and broke their leg so everybody's got a different story so and and i want to stress that to the audience is that you have to look at a port fuel injected engine or gasoline direct injection same thing when you're fueling each cylinder independently and not through a common source through a plenum like a carburetor is that how many injectors you have that you have the potential for variability in those injectors in the way they're atomizing the fuel their response time so if this one happens to be dirtier than the other one and it's dripping the fuel well basically then your your cylinder the cylinder combustion variability just went up all right and the other thing also and that's why i like the smoke machine it's that it's very common for the o-rings that seal the injector into the cylinder into the intake manifold all right start to age and crack and have the potential to leak so that is going to be a problem also is that and what you will find on fuel injectors is that the shorter the pulse width which is the length of time that the injector is open in milliseconds thousands of a second the shorter the pulse width the more prone the injector is going to have in the variability of its fuel delivery uh 
and that is at low speeds. So if the injector is open longer, so you got your foot to the floor, then even though it still may have variability, it's going to skew in the proper direction and come closer to being accurate. At short pulse width, so idling right off idle, then it's going to be glaring, glaringly apparent. As I said, when you walk in the soybean field, all right, you see that it's a controlled spill and you don't have the, the picket fence plantings when you're riding by in the highway and you see everything is in canopy oh look at that beautiful soybean field look how even it is well that's happening with a fuel injector so keep that in mind and that's the same thing that's happening with a diesel when it's a pump line nozzle diesel system a mechanical injection and that is and if you look at those right they have a pop-off pressure and so if that in, if that nozzle slash injector gets dirty and the pop-off pressure skews well the injection pump says it's making it say 2,000 pounds but this injector is opening at 1800 this one's open at 2100 all right you're all over the map so you have your cylinder to cylinder combustion variability because each injector is popping off at a different pressure and does not have the same rate of atomization breaking into small particles the fuel so you could have perfect air leak your smoke test the engine's beautiful but if you have so that's only it needs the fuel and air so if you basically have the fuel and air if you have the air but the fuel variability what's going to happen gasoline or diesel you're going to have cylinder to cylinder combustion variability each cylinder is not going to be producing the same amount of power as the sister or twin next to it so that is some that is what you need to keep in mind and you need to recognize that all right and lots of times on the gasoline injector or on a diesel mechanical injector uh or a common rail system is that by keeping the injectors clean with a good back again here he goes talking again about advertising the fuel and injector cleaners and what have you on a pump line nozzle system obviously if the pop-off pressure the spring pressure is wrong well keeping it clean is not going to make any difference right but it's going to make sure that the atomization of the that the injector is providing is going to be as close to being accurate as possible and the same thing on on direct injection diesel gasoline uh, uh, not gasoline gas a gasoline engine with or diesel direct injection common rail system is what i was looking for so basically to recap as we move forward and close here by design you have the intake manifold length all right uh you have a uh, wet flow system has is more sensitive in some ways than a dry flow with a dry flow system gasoline or diesel you have the engineer has the ability to have an equal length equal length manifold runners right but then you have and you have the variability of hey six kittens versus one kitten right we have we have a number of cats and when donald and cream god willing come home we'll have eight and everybody's doing something different this guy's got this this guy cut his paw this guy's fine this guy's purring this guy wants something to eat so you so you want that picket fence stand in an engine and the last thing that i want to discuss is that and you know then again you say here he goes again he found a new way to talk about it but it's true 
is that intake valve deposits specifically on the gasoline engine and combustion chamber deposits and diesels don't aren't prone to make as many deposits but they can but if you have intake valve deposits you you go and you're never going to have the exact same amount of deposits you have a six cylinder engine all right each intake valve is not going to have if it builds deposits on the valve it's not going to build it equally or exactly the same so you could have everything perfect you could have a you could have an equal length intake manifold runner you could have beautiful perfect fuel delivery with your port fuel injection or your carburetor and the thing is that if you have deposits unequal deposits which they will be on uh across the, the scope of this engine is that you will have cylinder to cylinder combustion variability because the intake the deposits on the intake valve and then on the combustion chamber but specifically the intake valve is going to wicken some of the fuel and air it's going to impede the airflow so our volumetric efficiency is going to change and what you basically end up having having is a phenomena that an engine does not have a dead misfire you go to the tailpipe but what you'll have is that if you have if tactilely if it gets bad that you will feel that the pulses coming from the tailpipe the exhaust pipe or it could be on a tractor it could be above the hood or whatever are not going to be a hundred percent even but there is going to be a combustion event when you have that's a misfire whether it's gasoline or diesel you're not having you the you the the the, the, the the flame is not consuming everything in the bore or not consuming it at all but when you have cylinder to cylinder variability combustion variability you're going to have an engine that doesn't run as smoothly all right uh the combustion events aren't as smooth the power the contribution of each cylinder for power is not going to be even all right and then if you became astute and you fine-tuned your tactile your 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 hand feeling the exhaust and then also listening that you will have an engine that does not sound smooth though it is not misfiring and you'll see and you'll have a lot of this specifically becomes very apparent with neglected diesel engines is that the and i'll use the term pardon my language that it's farty the exhaust sounds farty it's not misfiring all right but there's a lot of dynamics going on and uh and you'll hear that it doesn't sound doesn't it doesn't sound smooth it's not uh, you could it, it doesn't sound sweet all right um, you're an engine guy you'll know what sweet means all right it doesn't sound sweet so that's why i pay a lot of attention to the exhaust notes on engines i'm nuts right i'll have a guy passing me on a highway and uh, if i know the exhaust is not not in, the, not in all applications right but i'll i'll crack the window so i want to hear what the exhaust sounds like i want to hear everything because uh the thing is that it tells you so much of what's going on all right inside that engine and the engine may be brand new the truck may be brand new whatever but you could tell uh or you could tell the 
the cylinder combustion variation to a certain extent to a certain extent all right all right by listening to the exhaust specifically under load or listening to it at idle all right so somebody's idling i'll go by i'll listen to it and i'll say that ah, is this diesel sounds like it's got dirty injectors or this one sounds like the pump timing is the pump timing is off or this gasoline engine sounds like it's carboned up all right it's not misfiring and that's the thing that i wanted to use this this show because i want to bring you my audience to a higher level and i want all of your engines to have the least amount of cylinder to cylinder combustion variability that its design allows and uh when you know when i was building drag race engines and tuning and working frac cell dfi is that and is that we had uh well, the industry had, but we, we had, I think we were one of the first to have it, but uh, is that individual individual cylinder tuning for injector pulse width. So in other words, we had a base map with injector pulse width, and then if you looked at your exhaust gas temperatures, which was an indicator, all right, uh, one inch out of the pipe on the primary pipe on the header, and you could actually go and change and tweak the pulse width through a trim table on that particular cylinder that even out the egts exhaust gas temperatures because the exhaust gas temperature would be akin to like running a combine through the field and looking at the yield monitor whatever's there is there so if you have a big variation in exhaust gas temperature or a variation in exhaust gas temperature then historically and you know you have an, an equal length intake manifold and even if you don't have an equal length intake manifold you could tweak it and balance that out and a good indicator if you have very even exhaust gas temperatures on each cell that's why if you guys look at go to tractor poles go to drag races that they'll look at exhaust gas temperature on each cell they'll have a data acquisition system it's like you have on a combine a data a data system all right to uh to register what the come what what's going through the header of the combine all right to say so you'll look at each exhaust gas uh on each on the temperature and that's a pretty good indicator of how even the combustion event is and you could tweak that on a production car they don't do that for the simple reason being is they not that they, they do that when they do and development work all right and that's why a lot of even modern diesel engines and I know that the um, Duramaxes, for sure, and I'm sure that the uh, Power Strokes and the later Cummins, are, uh, but I had gone to school years ago for the Duramax, is that they actually have a, a, a code number on each fuel injector. So if you have a Duramax and you change the injectors, you're supposed to go inside the ECU and you can't do it. The dealer has to do it. You're not the software. So if you change three injectors, you have to put the code number of the injector that you put in so let's say you put this number abc one two three and so on the number two all right then you have to go into the ecu table calibration table and you have to tell it you have injector one two three abc in cylinder number two because what they're doing is that they flow test each injector today and they know that it's within a certain range and years ago uh, as an aside and a lot of people don't remember this but when i was in school i bought a holly carburetor book i remember i was in college 
I think Dave Emanuel, Dave Emanuel wrote it, I don't, I don't remember, the original, and Holly Carburetors on the performance end of it had three digit jet sizes. So if you had a 70, so if you had a, then they went back to two digits, but a lot of people don't remember this, and, and they're better carburetor guys than I am, but they don't remember it, but I read it in that book. So in other words, if you had a 0. .70 jet, then you, so you had 0. .70, all right then if you had 0.71 or 0.7 i think it was three i don't remember what the numbering was all right then if you had a 0.70 jet then it flowed that rate of fuel of a perfect 0.70 jet if you had 0.701 it flowed on the lean side of the specification i think it's 0.702 0.702 would flow on the rich side of the specification so with these modern diesels you're going in there and these guys i i, I read that the diesel stuff and i'm putting big injectors i'm doing this i'm doing that and i'm rolling coal and everything all right the thing basically is is that you change the injectors on these modern i'm going to use the, the duramax as an as an, as an example is that those injectors are coded and you have to tell it and by that code rate it's like the holly old holly jet sizes so if it's a this is a 701 it flows on the lean side of the specification 702 flows on the rich side so you have to tell it that yeah will the truck run if you don't do that yeah it's gonna run all right but you're not gonna have you're gonna have cylinder to cylinder combustion variability that is much higher than it should be because one cylinder is leaner one cylinder is richer so the fact of the matter is as i get ready to close is that what we're going to do is we're going to recap very very quickly is that you cannot do anything about the design and the design basically is the length of the intake manifold runners okay the second thing is that regardless of the design whether it's equal length runners or not is that you have to make sure that the runner is not sucking any air and introducing a, a variability in combustion to that particular bore all right the next thing is that if it's carbureted all right you need to make sure that the carburetor is is atomizing the fuel properly and not dripping all right then that's the best you could do you can't do anything about the afterwards that the carburetor is atomizing the fuel properly all right if it's port fuel injected you have to make sure that the injector is got is atomizing the fuel properly the spray pan the only way you could do that is by take it out and put it on a test bench it doesn't have deposits on it that the electronics are even and the rise time is correct it is it the rise time is what it should be they're all the rise time is even amongst all of them within a slight amount of variation obviously all right and the next thing you need to make sure is that you're not sucking air from the o-ring on that injector all right and we're going to go to the next aspect same thing is for diesel all right if it's pump line nozzle that it's that the, the, the injector is clean that it's atomizing the fuel properly there's no leak there and the pop open pop off pressure whatever you want to call it is right and then when the injector closes it doesn't drip that needs to be done on a test bench for a diesel and 
specifically with a gasoline engine, you want to make sure that the intake valves have no carbon deposits on them because that is going to to minimize the airflow into that cylinder. It's going to be a restriction. It's going to wick in the fuel. It's going to be lean and idle. It's going to give up and reject that fuel back into the airstream at high velocity through the ports at higher RPM and skew the mixture, and you're going to have combustion variability cylinder to cylinder. You're not going to have a dead miss you're going to lose power you're going to lose fuel economy you may not feel it that much with the smoothness of the engine but you're going to have another picket fence stand of power you're going to basically have a controlled spill of power that is going that that you that is going to impact how the engine runs and other aspects of it also for instance if you're richer in one cylinder you may get more cylinder piston ring wear there because you're washing the fuel off the cylinder wall so the whole idea is that you want to recognize that this cylinder to cylinder combustion variability exists and though you cannot redesign the engine you could do a lot of things to have it be the best it possibly can and perform the best fuel, have the lowest emissions, the best fuel economy, and last the longest. So I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, you know how to get hold of me. Hot Rod Farm at FarmMachineryDigest.com. And don't forget about the pins in the map, the license plate contest, and the Fent model contest. Have a blessed day. I'll catch you next week, God willing. Bye-bye.